Welcome everybody to another Analytica podcast this week with Neil Schaefer, social media marketing thought leader and consultant at MaximizeYourSocial.com. Neil, how are you? Doing awesome, thank you. How are you doing today? I'm very well. This is uh, Ben Schneider, obviously, for Analytica. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about how influence fits into maximizing your social. And that kind of is also my opening gambit to you, Neil. When you talk about maximizing a business's social presence and social ROI, where do you think influence fits in? How has that changed over the years? Well, I, I think uh, we, you know, companies started social media with purely organic efforts. And over time, every social network's algorithm has kicked into gear, Facebook's being the most severe, and it's been harder and harder for companies to be heard through the noise, and therefore, we're now uh, more and more in this pay-to-play scenario. Uh, however, other than organic and paid, there are other things that companies can do. I sort of put them all into something that I like to call leverage the other, but it's this idea that as a brand, you're sort of a singular entity out there in social media, but there's hundreds of millions of other people out there. And uh, people obviously resonate more and have better relationships and will listen more to other people than to companies in general. And you can look at the Edelman Trust Barometer and you know, all the stats out there that, that give us the data to, to prove that. So leveraging the other, you know, influencers is definitely one part of it. Uh, you know, the media, we, we've seen the democratization of information, both in terms of content creation and content consumption. So... You know, I'm fortunate to be a Gen Xer, and I can turn the clock back 20, 30 years ago when the media that we consume was very, very limited. Now, you know, I'll have people that know nothing about social media, but they know Gary Vaynerchuk. Uh, this is something that, you know, unless he was on the news 20, 30 years ago, no one would have ever heard of this guy, right? So we live in a different age, and therefore people that are creating content, you know, I suppose myself included, uh, as well as all these other bloggers and YouTubers and snappers and, and, and uh, photographers, uh, now yield uh, a portion of the influence that traditional media used to hold. So how can we leverage that for, for our brand? Uh, in addition to influencer marketing, we have uh, advocacy marketing or brand advocacy. Uh, how do we uh, you know, empower our fans? And this is a very, very powerful thing you know, combined with social media. And the other part of it is employee advocacy. So you have your influencers, your fans. Now you have your employees. And often with B2B companies, it's partners as well. And it, it's really um, you know, opening up your brand to the world because when you work with an influencer or when you want to work with an employee, uh, or when you want to work with a fan, I think traditionally big, big brands wanted full control and they didn't run, want to really expose their brand, their inner workings to other people. But now, and I know myself, uh, I was a brand ambassador for On Upon Airways, Anna in Japan, and they, uh, you know, they brought me into their maintenance facility at the Tokyo airport, I got to meet, you know, I got to ask questions. Hey, 787 is still new. How do you, if you're only looking at it every five years, how are you preventing, uh, you know, fatalities? Uh, able to ask these sorts of questions. I got to go to cabin attendant training school and see how they train their cabin attendants. Um, I sat in a marketing meeting where they were talking about their social media strategy. Uh, these are things that just would have been unheard of, you know, uh, before social media. Um, and, and really companies now saying, wow, instead of us dictating what we post in social media, maybe we should open it up more to our employees. 
uh, maybe we should be using user-generated content, which obviously is another form of leveraging the other. So it, it's a very, very exciting time, and those more advanced companies that get it uh, realize the benefits of doing so. So influencer marketing is one of those areas. You, you know, I'm, I'm working with a small business uh, from Japan that has a product that would be interesting for mothers of babies from zero to three years old. How do you get the word out about that product when you're starting from scratch without a community? So organically, it's going to take time. Uh, you, you need to organically build a community anyway, but obviously it's going to take time. There's a paid approach, which is going to cost money. And then there's this notion that a lot of moms are tuned in to a lot of different sources of information, one of those being mommy bloggers. And um, because word of mouth is such an invaluable part of, uh, of social of marketing in general, how do we get people that have used our product to spread the word to other moms about its, you know, its, its superiority in the market um, there's no better way to, to ignite that than beginning with influencers in the market who, in this case, would be these mommy bloggers. So that's sort of a, um, you know, in a nutshell. And, and I think influencer marketing has also evolved. We have platforms like Analytica that now, uh, you know, give agencies and brands the ability to really find who those key influencers are. But there's more and more content creators. There's more and more content creators that have more and more influence. There's more and more technology that now allows us to, um, see what that ROI of the influencer marketing, for instance, might be. So it's a lot easier, I think, to do influencer marketing now than it might have been a few years ago, which makes it even more mainstream. And it's funny, you know, on the topic of influencer marketing, I actually taught a class at USC uh, in, in LA uh, just two weeks ago. I uh, did a social media module for a MBA class on marketing. And when I was done, I'd say the average age in the room was between 28 and 32. They weren't asking how they should better leverage social media for their business. They wanted to know how they, too, could become an influencer, how they, too, could be on YouTube or Snapping or Instagram and making a lot of money doing so. And I've, I've heard that from a lot of people. Uh, you know, it's almost like the dot-com thing that we had 10 years ago here in the United States or, or maybe, well, maybe it's been 20 years since then. But anyway, uh, but that's how far we've, Become. I mean, influencer marketing really has become this mainstream thing where I think, you know, when Analytica first started out, um, not a lot of companies, the big consumer brands got it, but it really wasn't as mainstream as we see it today. So, yeah, it's, it's really in 2017 become a, a mainstream form of marketing. You do organic, you do paid, and influencer marketing should be some – it should have some place. And at the least, uh, when I work with companies and say, hey – you know, we need to curate content. Why not begin with curating content from influencers and begin developing relationships that way? So, at, at, you know, with, with any given company that I work with, influencer marketing is always a core component, and at the least it's part of that content uh, curation uh, that inevitably we end up doing as part of their, their content marketing for social. Yeah, I guess they, um, they're looking for the shortest way to pay for that MBA, aren't they? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, one, one of them just said, that uh, she had a friend who just started posting photos and quote images about, um, boy, I forgot what the topic was, about like bliss in life. It was just some random topic, but there was a diamond company and a jewelry company that started working with her and paying her lots of money because it, it, she built a large following in, in no time that was very engaged with her, and it fit in with the branding and the audience that these companies were looking to, to solve. And it, it just happened like over six months. 
So when you hear stories like that, or, uh, you know, I live in Irvine, California, in Orange County, the, the city next to us, Tustin. I had a friend who just moved into a new uh, community there, and he said his next-door neighbor is a 19-year-old YouTuber that bought a million-dollar house in cash. So when you see and hear stories like that, uh, it, it does sound very lucrative, doesn't it? Absolutely. And there are two two things that I think are key takeaways. For one, I think that's something that's not being said often enough to companies that are just starting out and that are being very cautious about this, is that the kind of the leap of faith is that this reduction of editorial control has so many more benefits that it by far outweighs the risk that most companies would take in actually starting to work with the uh, the other as you called them and i think the other part is that that this other this this big feared amorphous mass like you said isn't actually that isn't actually that amorphous at all because you've got your current user base in most cases most companies have been in business prior to starting working with social influencers right so you have people that are in some ways ambassadors and you're just not tapping into that resource and with social you have the bandwidth and the tools and the the sources at your disposal to find them and build that additional relationship with them and uh even in in more b2b brands you have all those incredibly passionate those incredibly knowledgeable specialists in your own business that uh who, who you probably don't let shine enough in terms of their personality and their affinity for the subject and, and I think those are really, really important points that uh, oftentimes when people say, all right, I need a tool because I want to sell some lipstick and I need to pay someone for an Instagram image, they, they kind of pass by these really important elements. Yeah, I mean, just that, the photograph. I don't know about you, when I see ads on Instagram, they look like ads. They don't look like photos taken by social media users. And the minute you engage in an influencer, and as part of that engagement, you say, hey, I, I want, you know, I, I, I'd love just, not just like promoting uh, my brand, your audience for whatever money you pay, but also for taking photographs that we can use as, you know, user-generated content that would resonate with other users that we as a brand are just unable to create because it's not in our, you know, it's not in our culture. We, we, we come from an advertising or marketing background where we're not actual uh, social media users of the product and, and can take those same sorts of photos. So, um, uh, that's just one example of an extremely valuable way that influencers can help you, not just from promoting uh, your brand, but also in, in the creation of content for your brand that's going to resonate a heck of a lot better than in most cases in your own content will, right? Absolutely. And I mean, I kind of, I'm, I'm kind of thirsting for the kind of thing where if you give that creative control to a successful influencer, I kind of wish somebody would get a, get a lipstick and rather than just take a photo with it, use it to draw something on a on, on a wall, you know, and say, hey, you know what, it's an right. awesome color. I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, stuff like that is yeah. is probably more impactful than just badge work. You know, when we used to, when, when you talk to companies that are looking for opportunities to work with the arts or something like that, and they, they just get as far as sponsoring an exhibition, just slapping their name on it, and it's really got no other connection than, than that logo we used to kind of look at badging as being the lowest form of engagement that way. And I think the Instagram ad and the, the sponsored tweet has kind of become that. I think an important ingredient of working with influencers is what's in it for me. So if, if only cash is consideration, 
then it's going to be a, a one-trick, uh, you know, evening, and that's it. It, it. It's very, very hard, you know, to develop a long-term relationship when it begins with money, in my honest opinion. Um, it's really about that developing the relationship and, and, you know, what's in it for me, right? What What does the influencer want? And some of the, the greatest, uh, you know, campaigns that I've heard about or that I've been engaged with, it's not necessarily just about money. It's, sometimes it's about access, right? Uh, sometimes it's, it's, uh, people just being happy that brands that they're fans of are actually reaching out and want to work together with them. So when developing that relationship and understanding what's in it for the influencer, it's going to, in many cases, help your brand in many ways that you may not have thought. So if you're just in the transactional mode, like here, you know, here's whatever, write a blog post, instead of, you know, how can we help you? Uh, we, we have some product. Would you, do you want to give a giveaway? Or if, if you don't want to do a giveaway, that's fine. What, you know, uh, what would you like to do with it? Um, you don't have a, a baby between zero and three years old now, even though you're influential with that audience, but you have a good friend who could write a guest post that would really appreciate the product and, and would probably write a great review. Well, great, let's work together with her as well, right? Uh, or, you know, hey, Neil, we actually, uh, we, we'd love to do a review, we'd love to do a giveaway, but I'm also putting together a, uh, a, a, a list of the 20 things that I gave my sister-in-law for her new baby, and I'd love to include your products as part of that. You know, can you send me over another product? Would, would you mind if we wrote a second blog post? And, and when you have... See, the problem that I see, and I have been a member of some of this influencer outreach, where you reach out one-to-one, and then you end up sending a blast email to like 20 influencers at once, saying, hey, thanks for joining the program. And, you know, ideally it's a one-to-one relationship because every influencer is going to be different in in what's in it for them and what their needs are and how they can help your company. So, you know, you miss out on the opportunity to unleash the creativity that each influencer has because of their unique situation and their unique experiences and their unique brand. So there really is, you know, we say marketing and social media is part art and part science, right? So, you know, the science is, hey, we want to unleash the power of influencers. But, you know, when you become the artist and you realize the potential of working with other people and what they potentially can bring to the table by uh, giving them more power and, and empowering them, um, you can unlock some very, very powerful things that you might not have even planned for, but that can truly help your your marketing. So this is something that is, you know, I think is often missed in the market. I, I, you know, I don't know what you guys see at Analytica, but I uh, just wanted to throw that out there for people listening to the podcast. Absolutely, and I think so. What what happens quite a lot is that I I talk about what's what what I call the value triangle between the brand, the influencer, and and their audience, because if you you know, if you effectively ignore their asset, which is why am I relevant to the people that listen to me and that watch my videos, that share my photos and so on and so forth, that relationship will always be short-lived because you, the brand has kind of outstayed its welcome with that, with that influencer before that relationship has even gone long-term. Yeah, that's great. And, and that's so important. I, I love that term to, to bring up that audience because... I'll have brands reach out to me and the product is completely irrelevant to what I've built my audience on, right? So, you know, are you, are you really watching what I post? Are you reading the engagement that, that people have with me? Do you understand why they're following me? What sorts of products and services would be relevant to them? Uh, and if it's irrelevant, then it just, it makes no sense. It's just, it, you know, you, you're not going to get great ROI from it. So, um, yeah, uh, always, you know, keep in mind the audience and keep in mind that 
if the influencer doesn't see any ROI uh, of working with you to their audience, they, they really, you shouldn't be working with them and they shouldn't be working with you either, right? Absolutely. And that kind of brings me on to the next question. We've, we've kind of already started on this, but if we, if, if our listeners were, were among the group that said, all right, we need, we really need to get going on this. It's, you know, Q1 2017 has passed all the trends for the next year in marketing posts have subsided and I really need to get going with implementing some of this stuff then if if you had to give them a checklist of of things that they should have in place or questions that for themselves and among their their marketing team they would have had to answer credibly before they start that journey on a particular campaign or on a particular set of messages what would be on that list well obviously the number one thing is who who are the influencers in our industry and for that you you need a tool i mean you need analytica because there's just too much too much data out there to be able to consume and try to figure it out yourself, uh, without a doubt. So, but the funny thing is, you know, I'm working with a company now, and you know, someone said, "Oh, I, you know, I, I had my daughter create a list of influencers, and they've been working off it." But why are these people influential? So, this is the thing that people, whatever tool, and, and I'm not just talking about Analytica, but whatever tool you might use, anything related to social media. You need to have an analog understanding of what it means. So tools are only going to be able to glean information taken from data. But sometimes that can miss the whole picture. And if you've ever done any social listening for a term where there's a, a, you know, the same term has multiple meanings and you're getting a lot of hits and you're thinking, well, everyone's talking about the subject, but they're actually talking about a different subject. Uh, the same, you know, could potentially happen when you start looking for influencers as well. So it's really, you know, the number one is obviously use the tool to get the picture. The second thing you need to do is really dive deeper. I mean, literally go to their profiles, go to their content, go to their snaps, whatever it might be. Try to get a deeper understanding as to who they are and do they really you know, do they really as influencers resonate with your brand and would their community resonate with your brand? Uh, and, and maybe that's a step that a lot of uh, companies miss, especially when you do like these blogger outreach programs and just, you know, anyone who's ever blogged once about a certain subject, hey, I saw you blogged about such and such, uh, even though it might be completely irrelevant to their business or, or to who they are right now or to the community right now. So I think that's the second thing. Um, the third thing you need to do is, well, we've identified – you know, we have our short list of people that we think are influential in, in the communities that uh, we want to influence. What is that relationship going to look like? And often the relationship with influencers is going to come down to what do we want to get out of that relationship? Um, is it, you know, posting photos or it, it, inevitably it comes down to posting content that somehow is going to promote your brand? Uh, a lot of savvy companies are trying to use influencers for user-generated content. And a great example of this is almost handing over your account to influencers for a week or for a day. We see a lot of that on Snapchat. Um, but that's going to be a key consideration. What, what exactly, if you were to have an open conversation with an influencer that you really want to work with, what would that look like? And, you know, I'm sort of the approach of keeping it open and starting a conversation saying, you know, we love your work. We know you're an influencer. We want to work with you. How, how best can we work with you? And instead of trying to predefine things, keep it a little bit more open 
and adjust on a one-to-one basis as you begin to know these influencers. But the next thing that I recommend is instead of going for the jugular and immediately contacting them and saying, hey, we love your work, we want to work with you, try to organically develop a relationship, right? If you follow them in social media and they don't follow you back, um, you know, what does that say about them? If you are commenting on their blog and they don't respond to your comment, if um, you send them a lot of social signals and you get nothing back, to me, that sends up a red flag saying, hey, if I was a fan and I was doing the same thing, this person just isn't responding. Um, and if I work with an influencer and someone had a question about a product they were reviewing, I would want them to respond to that, right? So, you, you know, the, uh, people use social media differently and, and influencers use it differently as well. Um, you you want to make sure when you look at them and try to engage with them organically, try to gauge as to who they are as people, right? And do they engage with their own fans? And that's going to give you a really, really good taste. Then beyond that, um, you know, start that relationship. I, I like the idea of creating, you know, of, of starting with influencers, but really trying to uh, uh, re- not repurpose. I'm, I'm looking for the word here. But you really want to... Uh, propel them into becoming brand ambassadors, right? Then naturally, they're going to be talking about your brand a heck of a lot, not just because it's part of a contract or what have you. And ideally, you want to work with influencers who are fans of your brand. Uh, so really, the best influencers are our brand advocates. And that's another approach to take is, hey, who are the people that are already engaging with us, our fans? Uh, who are the most influential among them? And maybe you can, from there, you could put together a little committee, right? Um, you know, with with a hashtag or a name. These are our, you know, brand 2017 brand ambassadors, whatever it may be. I think when you uh, create something that's formal, it makes it easy for influencers to use it as part of their personal brand. That they're part of, uh, you know, they're part of uh, a uh, an entity uh, that that is official with a company. Um, and I think also it allows other people in your company to say, hey, you know, we now have a group of influential fans, you know, influencers that we're working with. How best can we work with them internally? Because, you know, just as social media has gone from a PR marketing function to uh, a function everywhere in the business, you know, influencers also and, and your brand advocates also can have the same effect. I mean, I could see product marketing people uh, product R&D people wanting to bring them in for a meeting, have a phone call with them. Hey, we'd love to get feedback on our product, right? Um, hey, wh- where do you think the, the industry is going? What do you think your community needs a year from now? What sort of questions do you get asked that maybe we can respond and create a product for? Uh, and, and other departments may have other similar questions as well. So, you know, bring those people into your organization. I mean, when I met with On Upon Airways, obviously they're a Japanese company and I met with the Japanese marketing team, but hey, you know, we want to get more American business travelers to travel Anna through Japan to the other parts of Asia. What do you recommend we do in the American market? And obviously there's benefits for them of having those conversations with influencers. And I think for any brand, there's a lot of benefits that can be had by having those conversations. And really the best way to do it, as I suggested, is to create some sort of formal structure uh, and create opportunities for your people internally to have conversations with influencers. So don't just be thinking of the outward or the out, uh, the outbound marketing. Also think of the inbound benefits that you can have enterprise-wide through a relationship 
with an influencer. Man, I've been doing a lot of talking, haven't I? <laughs> All gold right here, Neil. And I think that that last point is a really good one because we, you know, so many people talk about collaborate with your influencers, but I think there's an additional level there, which is collaborate is not just co-create, right? It's not just about creating yeah. something new, but it's also about listening to people that will have a very unique and, and potentially quite unambiguous insight that, that you as a marketing team might not be privy to. Absolutely. And you know, this, this sort of concept, and it, it's not a unique concept by any means, but I actually created my ideas around this when I worked with a public utility company that uh, I created a social media strategy for, and, and they were really all about proactive crisis management, that if you're a power company or you know gas company, there's going to be something bad that's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. So you know, it, it, instead of social media becoming a, a, a war uh, you know, of, of, of tweets and what have you, of complaints, how can we use social media to proactively build um, goodwill and build a community? And part of it is, hey, you know, once you start to develop fans, um, have meetings with them, create some, you know, call it a VIP committee, what have you, bring them in, because those people in times of crisis, should it ever happen, should it ever happen they're going to fight for you in social media. They're going to be on your side. And that's going to do a lot more than your PR team putting out a press release you know, that you're going to post a link to. Uh, that's going to help you a great deal over the long term. So that's, I think, another thing that brands miss out on is, is because it's not necessarily a KPI that you'll find in a marketing ROI ca calculation, um, that, that notion of goodwill. Exactly, and that's actually exactly what I was gonna what I was gonna get onto is that that's not necessarily something that you would imagine companies start building a KPI around because you're gonna get the usual, you know, can you get what's your cost cost per interaction, cost per impression versus traditional marketing versus PR and so on and so forth, but actually building a community and having a having a measure around who stands where with what kind of potential for you even for things that are currently dormant such as you know crisis planning is is really interesting so i think uh kpis is a good topic to move on move on to and i think that's a an interesting one is to say what is community size what is community sentiment and how do those things evolve as we systematically build those relationships? But it's just one of many, I think, and it's it's quite an advanced one. So if somebody were to just go for the first couple of KPIs on their checklist, which ones would you suggest? Well, obviously, when, when working with influencers, there's going to be an investment of resources. And whether you actually pay influencers or not or give product or not, it, there's going to come uh, a cost to your organization, uh, at least of time and resources. So uh, I do believe that you know, some of the KPIs that companies will look at, they, they will treat that as paid media. So compared to our ad spend, when we work with influencers, what does that equate to? Do we see any, uh, and especially if we ask influencers to embed links that lead people to uh, you know, points in the funnel that, that we're measuring, or we give influencers all unique bitlies or uh, unique tracking codes that we can track this, obviously, you can create a KPI with working with an influencer as you could do with your own paid media campaign. So that's, I think, one area where, where people start. Um, 
you know, another is sort of share a voice. You know, working with an influencer, your brand name or your product name is probably going to be is going to come up in more conversations, right? Uh, what influence does that have to your conversation? Uh, we've also seen a lot of people talk about the SEO benefits of working with influencers, especially if they're creating content, specifically blog content, because that lives on forever if they're not deleting that content. And what are the uh, what are the benefits of that as the influencer's content gets picked up in search engines and there's some, uh, some link back to your site. Uh, you know, how does that, uh, how does that benefit your, your SEO and your website traffic over time? So I think, you know, when you talk about KPIs in general in social media, it comes down to what the objectives are. Um, you know, if you were aiming more for a goodwill, it, it, it might be more about sentiment analysis, right? Before and after working with influencers, and when I work with companies, I encourage them to work with influencers at a larger scale. It's not about just working with, you know, one, two, three, four, five. It's more like 10, 15, 20, 25. And then you can really start to uh, better measure these things and better see the impact that it might have, as if you were doing a paid media campaign. If you're just working with one influencer at a time, you might not be able to gauge any measurement of those benefits because of that. So those are just some, and uh, it you know it, it comes down to your social media strategy and what the objectives are and, and how you measure them. And influencer marketing should fit; it should complement that. And I don't think you need to necessarily uh, create any new KPIs for it, uh, but you want to try to isolate the effect that it has had on your on on the KPIs you've been tracking. In my opinion, absolutely. And uh, the, the the opening line to that, when you said that influencer marketing will always require some investment of resources, I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind because at the end of the day it's not a it's not a lower class of marketing it's not a, a secondary aspect to marketing uh, versus the traditional aspects that that companies might sometimes be more comfortable with that's an important realization I'm going to throw in something here just to be a bit contentious and and play devil's advocate a little bit but um I've kind of been playing with this hypothesis of saying that whether you go for a big big badge, high reach, paid for interaction with a with a celebrity influencer, or you run a different influencer campaign with a range of micro influencers developing internal ambassadors, the total resource required in terms of cash in hand for the two approaches is probably the same. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, and you know, it's funny. Uh, as when I work with companies, I I say, you know what? I I don't know whether it's a micro influencer or a general influencer. I, I, you know, not every blogger has a price point listed on their blog, and and you know, I I don't list my prices as well because it comes down to a one-on-one -on -one situation. Do I want to work with that company? Do I like their product? Does it fit in with with the content I'm creating and my own branding? So you you come to a point where it's it's sort of until you develop relationships you don't know what the cost is going to be. And at that point, you make a decision as to, well, do I, you know, what, what's going to be the ROI of working with this person at this price point versus this person at this price point? And even if it's free, quote-unquote free, but you're sending out product, there's shipping fees, there's your time and resource. So at the end of the day, it, it, it is a sophisticated type of marketing that is uh, revolving around relationship building, which obviously takes time. And one of the 
mistakes that people make with social media is just because I can directly send you a tweet and say, hey, will you help me get verified on Twitter? And I immediately block those people. Uh, it's an exciting medium because you couldn't do that before. But those old rules of, of, of etiquette that still takes time to develop relationships hasn't changed even with social media. So, yeah, um, you know, you, you could work with 20 micro-influencers at a smaller price point per influencer versus a, a bigger influencer. And, and what's going to be the ROI? So, I, you know, I, I encourage brands to really, you know, do a, a, a one-on-one comparison and you might find that, the, as we've seen in the market these days, working with micro-influencers, and sometimes, you know, I, I look at bloggers that I want to work with uh, for brands that I represent, and they show logos of brands they work with in the past. It's like, wow, these big brands are working with company or working with people that I don't really think are that influential, uh, even a micro-influencer, but yet they're still working for them, still working with them for a reason. So, you know, at, at the end of the day, there's going to be a cost and there's going to be a benefit and you really have to have a holistic perspective because you're dealing with people and it's really hard to measure influence. You can use Analytica to try to identify and try to measure that influence, but the ultimate influence is going to be how it influences your brand's perception in the market and your product sales and what have you. And you're not going to know that until you do it. And it's going to take a little bit of experimentation to try to find the right influencers uh, at, at the right uh, you know, price points or the right incentives um, but yeah, um, you know, you, you, you need to look at it very, very holistically, uh, you know, one, one-on-one basis, influencer by influencer, uh, price point, uh, what you need to incentivize, what do you expect those results to be? It, you know, I'm not going to say it's like the investing in the stock market, but the more I'm talking about it, the more I'm sort of realizing that it, there's a lot of similarities there because you don't know what their return is going to be. But these aren't stocks, these are people. And they're people that have large communities, or even if they don't have large communities, they they carry some weight of influence uh, as content creators, and people follow them and listen to them. And obviously, even if you're working with a micro influencer and they have smaller influence, it's still influence. And and therefore, you know, whether you have a thousand followers or a million followers, if all of those thousand followers are, are influencers in themselves, that person is going to have way more influence than someone with a million influencers who might only have one or two, a million followers, I'm sorry, who might only have one or two influencers as part of those followers. So you just, there's still this concept you just don't know. And in fact, with the campaigns I've run for my clients, sometimes it's been the micro-influencers that have generated traffic that have gone way beyond uh, some of what we thought were more of the major influencers. So, you know, with the micro-influencers, they focus more on your product because they're probably working with fewer brands. The bigger influencers, they're working with tons of brands. Uh, and therefore, the, the tender, loving care, you know, the TLC that you're going to get as a brand, unless they really like you, is it, probably going to be a lot less. You're going to get a lot less mind share in that influencer's mind compared to working with a micro-influencer. So you need to weigh all these things. Obviously, influencer marketing is, is, a, uh, um, it, it, is a deeply analytical process. Uh, it requires a lot of creativity, a lot of energy, a lot of holistic thinking, a lot of analog uh, type of thinking and analysis, but hopefully this podcast and you know all the great content that you guys have at uh, and and you know the team at Analytica has been creating uh, you know blogs and the podcast and all the reports you guys put out. Uh, hopefully that's that's going to help brands out immensely and help them navigate this territory. Absolutely, and I think it's it's important to always approach it from two sides. I think, and that's that's kind of what's come out of the checklist and and out of the approach is to say have a holistic view just like with any other marketing 
you have a holistic view of where you're trying to get to. What, where is point B? And that's a big thought, and that should have a lot of buy-in from the people in your department, in your company. But then start small. Find a few people and start socializing. Yeah. Start educating. Start figuring out where they lie on the spectrum towards your brand. And in that case, to go back to the, to the stock market example, hedge your bets. You know, talk to a few more people so you don't have to leverage every relationship. Yeah, I, I, I just want to compliment what, what you said. You know, always begin with the end in mind uh, for, for any strategy. What are you trying to achieve, right? And the more, uh, you know, the more you know that, the better you're going to be able to measure the success of that. And then you're absolutely right. And exact same thing with, I know this is about influencer marketing, not employee advocacy, but employee advocacy is the same thing. You're not going to get 100% of your employees to engage with you. You're not going to get 100% of influencers to engage with you. So I always say with influencers, start with your fans. Uh, who, you know, you might have a few micro-influencers in there, but starting with your fans is a low-risk approach because now you're working with people. You're not, like, spending money to advertise, and it's a, it, there's a certain etiquette that you need to, certain things you need to experience working with social media users and understanding what's in it for them. And I want you to get that experience from low-risk people because they're already fans. They're already your, your brand advocates, right? And when you begin with them, you're going to pick up a lot of skills in working with people, working with influential social media users. They're going to help you when you start to develop relationships with more and more influential people. Uh, and, and that's going to be key because you don't want to all of a sudden say, oh, we're going to reach out for the most influential person in the industry and, you know, well, they would want to work with us. We shouldn't have to pay them because we're such a great company. And then you just don't understand the paradigm and, and the etiquette and what's in it for them. And you strike out and first impressions mean a lot. And then this influence is like, yeah, I'm never going to work with this brand. Um, so, you know, start small, uh, you know, have that measurable goal. Start with, like I said, I, I highly recommend you start with your fans uh, and, and work up from there and, and sort of expand upon that uh, on a regular basis. Absolutely. I think that's a, a great takeaway is hone your skills on your fans. Uh, yeah. That was great, Neil. Thank you so much. So this was Neil Schaefer at Neil Schaefer from at Max Your Social. And you've been listening to at Schneider Ben at Analytica. Have a good day, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good luck, everybody.